Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and welcome to this week's Roundtable, where we gather three top political reporters around the online table to look back at the news of the week so far. This week, the 2020 campaign came back to life in a big way. Joe Biden emerged from his Wilmington, Delaware basement to deliver a blistering speech attacking Donald Trump for what Biden called his disastrous response to the coronavirus pandemic. Biden presented his own plan. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, who once wanted to run on the economy, shifted his campaign to the issue of law and order. And meanwhile, called the Black Lives Movement, quote, a symbol of hate. In other news, the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and the Associated Press, based on U.S. intelligence agency sources, all reported that Russia was paying Taliban militants a bounty of $100,000, says the New York Times, to kill American soldiers in Afghanistan. Donald Trump, however, calls it a hoax invented by Democrats and the media. And far from disappearing once summer temperatures arrive, the coronavirus pandemic is claiming more victims than ever before. So here today to try to make some sense of it all, three of Washington's finest from the Wall Street Journal, Sabrina Siddiqui. Hello, Sabrina. Hello, hello. Okay, Huffington Post, Igor Babish. Hello, Igor. Hey, Bill. And the National Journal Hotline that gives us today, Leah Ascarina. Hi, Leah. Hi, Bill. Okay, guys, let's just jump right into the 2020 mix. And the old uh, cliche reporters are always asked. I know it's a cliche, but looking back at the last week or two weeks, Joe Biden or Donald Trump, who, which one had a better week? Leah? Uh, the answer is Joe Biden. Uh, and I don't think there's much of a debate there if you ask Democrats or Republicans. Uh, Joe Biden might not have had a, an exactly you know shiny week. It's not like he's been um, in the spotlight that much. It's not that he's uh, kind of emerged as a new superstar. It's that Trump has been continuing to plummet in polling. And Joe Biden is there to kind of reap the benefits. Um, he's kind of the alternative to Trump. And right now, it does seem like the election is uh, becoming a referendum on the president, not on the Democratic Party. Uh, which is just what he did not want, I believe. Igor, do you see it the same way? And uh, what were the lows for Trump or the highs for Biden? Yeah, I, I totally agree with Leah. I think um, the best thing Biden has going on for him right now is that he's not Trump. Uh, he's the not <laughs> Trump candidate. Um, you know, if you look at the numbers four years ago at, at this time, uh, Hillary Clinton was only up by four points, uh, and she still went on to lose. Whereas today, uh, you know, Biden averages his lead about 10 to 14 points, which is pretty stunning. Um, you know, this current environment with coronavirus, but also with the fact that, you know, whatever comes out of Trump's mouth uh, tends to uh, hurt him even more in the polls. And, you know, if you talk to Republicans on Capitol Hill, 
they want him to just stop, stop talking, stop, you know, uh, saying incendiary things. And uh, they're worried about their their party's future in the Senate majority in, in November. So, Sabrina, first of all, Sabrina, do you see it the same way? I do. I do. I think that the ongoing crisis stemming from the coronavirus pandemic is impossible to ignore. And because of the administration's failure to contain uh, the spread of the virus and to enforce federal guidelines that would have created uh, more of a cohesive uh, response, it looks like we could be in this for months. And you already have schools saying that they won't open in the fall. So this is something that's very tangible for the average voter because they can't send their kids to school. They can't go back to the office. um, They can't travel. They're losing their jobs. It affects their day-to-day lives in a way that uh, certainly, especially if this is in fact a referendum on the president, will very much be something that he would be expected to answer for at a minimum that he would be blamed for as we get closer to Mm -hmm. November. And um, Igor, the president, this is a week ago now, but still uh, instructive, I think, in an interview with uh, Sean Hannity uh, after the Tulsa rally, he was, I believe it was, or some event at any rate, uh, Sean Hannity gave him the softball question about, so why do you want a second term? What are your goals for a second term? Uh, Here is the president's response. What are your top priority items for a second term? Well, one of the things that will be really great, you know, the word experience is still good. I always say talent is more important than experience. I've always said that. But the word experience is a very important word. It's a very important meaning. I never did this before. I never slept over in Washington. I was in Washington, I think, 17 times. All of a sudden, I'm president of the United States. You know the story of riding down Pennsylvania Avenue with our first lady, and I say, this is great. But I didn't know very many people in Washington. It wasn't my thing. I was from Manhattan, from New York. Now I know everybody. And I have great people in the administration. You make some mistakes, like, you know, an idiot like Bolton. All he wanted to do is drop bombs on everybody. You don't have to drop bombs on everybody. You don't have to kill people. So there you go, Igor. I guess um, he, he deserves the second term because now he knows a lot of people in Washington. <laughs> he is the consummate Washington Washington insider now. Uh, that, <laughs> that answer was that that question was the softball of softballs, and he blew it. And uh, not, even Republicans on Capitol Hill were not happy with that answer. You had Chuck Grassley, the, the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, tweeting at the president saying, "Hey, what are you what are you doing?" You know, uh, and and he wasn't just upset at Trump about the answer. Mostly, he's upset at Fox News. At Sean Hannity for for not helping him avoid that disastrous answer. <laughs> well, Sean Hannity, as you pointed out, teed up the question. So, Leah, in his uh, news conference this week, um, you know, Joe Biden uh, had a chance to fire back because one of the things that the Trump campaign is saying about Biden is that he is um, basically he's not all there, right? He's old. He's a little senile. His cognitive abilities are suffering. Uh, Joe Biden was asked about that. Here's was here's his response. I've been tested and I'm constantly tested. Look, all you all I got to do is watch me, and I can hardly wait to compare my cognitive capability to the cognitive capability of the man I'm running against. Yeah. So, is this a good line of attack for Donald Trump against Joe Biden? I mean, I think that Joe Biden 
benefits from some of the dynamic of that, that Trump benefited from in 2016. I mean, Hillary Clinton learned in 2016 that attacking Trump was not going to get her any place, that he had this baked in image that was really hard to make a dent in. And, and the fact is that people already have their kind of thoughts of who Joe Biden is um, and trying to convince voters that he's dumb is not, I, I don't think that's going to be effective. Um, however, I think what you're trying to see from at least Joe Biden's response is that he's not uh, kind of taking the bait. Um, at this point, mm -hmm. I mean, Joe Biden didn't give like a fiery speech. He didn't come up with some kind of new revolutionary like policy platform. He's not following in the kind of footsteps of AOC. He's just being a calm presence. And especially after listening to that Sean Hannity answer, um, you can imagine that kind of sleepy Joe might actually be helpful for Joe Biden in, in November. Well, I was going to ask Sabrina about that. You know, Sleepy Joe, Trump keeps using it, but it doesn't seem to have the same hook or impact that Crooked Hillary had, right? I think a lot of this has to do with voters' preconceived notions about candidates and whether or not the attacks on Hillary Clinton were right or wrong. Uh, because she had been in public office for decades and the Clintons are very much associated with the establishment in an election where Donald Trump ran as an outsider, it's stuck in a way that I think when you're looking at the attacks on Joe Biden now, um, he has also been in public office for a long time, but because of that, voters really know who he is. And They've always seen him as gaff prone. Is he as sharp at 77 as he was when he was in the White House or when he first got into politics in the Senate? Maybe not. But they don't, I think, buy into the idea that he is incompetent or not up for the job. Um, they, they don't buy into the idea that he's not mentally fit for the job. So I, I think it's a different attack that doesn't have the same resonance uh, that the attacks on Hillary did in 2016. I also think there's a very real concern for Trump in turning off seniors who were very critical to his election in 2016. There has been some polling showing that he is losing support from voters older above the age of 65, especially white voters, in for, for various reasons. Some is just the frustration with uh, his presidency, with his first term, but also perhaps because if he antagonizes the elderly, it does potentially have uh, the effect of turning off some of those older voters who don't necessarily see that um, as a valid critique of a candidate and who I would in fact are offended by the notion that simply because Joe Biden is an older candidate that Trump would suggest he's unfit or unstable. Uh, so Igor, uh, and actually uh, each of you, Sabrina, Igor, and Leah, this is um, an election unlike any we've seen before for many reasons, <laughs> the coronavirus pandemic and the lack of rallies and the lack of travel being one big one. But another one is for me um, that this week we saw the third group of Republicans. So there's a group called the Lincoln Project, uh, anti-Trump Republicans, never Trump Republicans. There's a group called Republican Voters for Joe Bi uh, against Donald Trump, led by Bill Kristol. Uh, this week emerged a yet a third group called 43 alumni for Biden. And it's not 43 people. There are people who worked for Bush 43, hundreds of them who now say they're going to support and ask other Republicans to support Joe Biden. 
Igor, have we seen anything like this before? And do you think it's effective? And kind of what is their goal? I mean, you know, you saw some uh, Republican groups in 2016 who refused to get on board with mm-hmm. with the Trump candidacy. What you're seeing now more of is the fact that they're explicitly endorsing the Democratic candidate. Right. They're saying that, uh, you know, we may not un- agree on everything, but we believe that it's it's time to get the country back on track and kind of eliminate this this threat to the republic, which is basically, you know, Joe Biden's argument. Um, and I think uh, the book is still out on whether whether they're going to be that influential and in, in convincing enough Republicans to get on board um, or whether they're just the same contingent of never Trump Republicans who, um, you know, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, they, they failed to oust Trump in 2016. And I think the difference between 2016 and now is th- that they are organized, they're raising money, they're running ads, right? I yep. mean, it's it's a real pro- program uh, run by some pretty smart and pretty professional strategist on the other side. And also, Bill, it's no longer a hypothetical. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a lot of people held their nose in 2016, uh, and this is moderate Republicans, suburban women, independents, and voted for Trump, even though he was not their preferred candidate, even though they had a lot of grievances with his rhetoric uh, and his history of controversy. But they thought that maybe the presidency would change him. Uh, And now they've seen that what you see is what you get. And so I do think there is a difference. And you saw that play out a little bit in 2018 with suburban voters and independents coming back to Democrats. Uh, So I do think that you know, this the the organized effort by moderate Republicans, never Trumpers, has more potency because people now see what uh, the first term of a Trump presidency looks like. So, Leah, if Trump is not doing that well at the top, at least for now, uh, is that is there any effect of that scene down ticket, down ballot, particularly in Senate races you alluded to a little earlier? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Lincoln Project isn't just focused on the presidency. Uh, They're focused on ousting any Republican who has been helpful to Trump's agenda. And they are airing ads um, against incumbent Republican senators as well, uh, which we did not see that kind of thing in uh, 2016. Uh, Voters are more polarized than ever, which I feel like we always say and say a million times. (laughs) But that does mean that if uh, voters are going to be voting against um, Trump, that they're probably voting against Republicans down ballot as well. But the key uh, test is in the Senate, Igor, correct? I mean, and are Republicans, I mean, what is the Democrats need to pick up three or four if there's a, if Donald Trump are reelected. Uh, Republicans are nervous about holding um, control of the Senate? Yeah, I think they they're they're increasingly anxious about it. Um, you know, they're saying the opposite, but it's clear right now when you look at the states across the map. Uh, polling from yesterday showed that the Democratic candidate in Montana, Steve Bullock, the former governor, uh, was up on the Republican Republican Senator Steve Daines, the incumbent. And you know, if if Democrats take that race, it, they have a very very good sh- chance of taking the Senate. Wow. Yeah, and that's one I'd that we actually, haven't talked about. Go ahead, Leah. I'd add to that that the House and governorship is also open in Montana, um, and those are also competitive. So it's if Democrats are doing well on one of those, it, it could 
kind of have wider consequences than just the Senate. So, Sabrina, the big story of the week, and it certainly has an impact on 2020, uh, is a word reported by the Wall Street Journal, your Wall Street Journal, among others, um, that according to intelligence sources, um, not all of them agreed, perhaps, but certainly enough intelligence sources that got to the White House, that Russian operatives were paying Taliban militants a bounty to track down and kill American soldiers in Afghanistan. Um, Donald Trump says it's all a hoax invented by Democrats in the media. Uh, what do we know and what makes us believe that maybe it should be taken more seriously? Well, I think this is another example of Trump versus the intelligence agencies. Um, I, you know, there has been some slight disagreement over the intelligence, but it was mostly just that the National Security Agency dissented from other intelligence agencies' assessment that Russia paid bounties for the killing of U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. But that also came after the White House downplayed these revelations. Um, so it does call into question why the NSA would come out now and say that they disagree with the CIA and other agencies about the strength of the intelligence. I think even putting aside the intelligence for a second, when you look at the White House's response, they first said that the president was not briefed, which within and of itself raised eyebrows because for something that is as damning as uh, this report, how would the president of the United States not be briefed? Then there were suggestions that it was in fact in his presidential, his daily presidential briefing, which we know he doesn't often read or does not often take. Um, and then, you know, they said, okay, the president has now been briefed on the matter. And after after he's been briefed on the matter, Trump comes out and says, the whole thing is a hoax. So if he had just been briefed on the matter, how is it a hoax? Uh, it, it's just been a fundamental inconsistency that once again, is it seems designed to protect the president uh, from scrutiny. And I think another big part of this is, of course, if this is in fact true, it's another way in which Russia has been emboldened under Trump's watch, that this is even a possibility, uh, speaks to the way in which Vladimir Putin has felt strengthened by the Trump administration, because as we know, this president has repeatedly made overtures to Putin even after the Russians interfered in the 2016 election. Uh, Igor, again, I think the last time that all the intelligence agencies agreed on anything was when all 17 said that Russia had interfered in the 2016 election. Uh, Donald Trump called that a hoax, too, right? He did. That's, that's true. Uh, he's got a long pattern of doubting intel. And if you remember his press conference alongside with Putin in Helsinki, he did it in front of the Russian president. Right. Um, so it's not a surprise he's doing it right now. I, I mean, I think what you're seeing is that it more so is just the fact that he refuses to read. <laughs> uh, the in, the intelligence was was in his daily presidential briefing, but he does not ingest information uh, by via reading. Mainly, he does it through graphs and charts and you know uh, visual uh, visual aids. And the question is, um, you know, even if the intelligence community is giving him these warnings, whether he's paying attention. So Leah, the political consequences again, the Lincoln project, it didn't take them uh, 24 hours to see uh, the potential political damage to Donald Trump, if true, ignoring the fact that Russians were paying a bounty to kill American soldiers. 
and they came out with this blistering ad by a leading veteran. My name is Dan Barkoff. I'm a 2001 United States Naval Academy graduate. I'm an ex-Navy SEAL, currently an emergency room physician and the founder of Veterans for Responsible Leadership. Months ago, Donald Trump learned that the Russians were paying bounties for dead American soldiers in Afghanistan. He chose to do nothing about it. Any commander-in-chief with a spine would be stomping the living shit out of some Russians right now, diplomatically, economically, or, if necessary, with the sort of asymmetric warfare they're using to send our kids home in body bags. Mr. Trump, you're either a coward who can't stand up to an ex-KGB goon, or you're complicit. Which is it? Donald Trump is unfit to be our commander-in-chief, and that's worse than useless. I'm a pro-life, gun-owning combat veteran, and I can see Trump for what he is a coward. We need to send this draft dodger back to his golf courses. The lives of our troops depend on it. Uh, an ad that, to say the least, does not hold back, an ad that Joe Biden could never have run. Um, Leah, Donald Trump paying the political price? I mean, you can tell from that ad pretty quickly that the message there is kind of using his own 2016 message against him. There's a real kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Masculine energy to it. Um, that seems to be kind of echoing some of that 2016 conversation, um, which I'm sure gets under the president's skin. It's not the uh, kind of main argument that Democrats are using right now. The Lincoln Project definitely uh, has been going after that kind of manliness attack more than any other group I've seen that actually is well-funded. Um, but that is the kind of thing that gets under the president's skin and that sometimes makes him behave erratically, basically creating more chaos when yeah. voters clearly want a reprieve from the pandemic, the uh, protests about racism, just the constant chaos of everyday life. There are other issues uh, around that will certainly uh, impact, already impacting the 2020 race, uh, like the coronavirus, like the Black Lives Matter movement, like uh, recent decisions by the Supreme Court. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get back to all of those with our panel, Leah Skaranam from National Journal Hotline, Sabrina Siddiqui, the, the Wall Street Journal, and Igor Babish, the Huffington Post. Quick break here. We'll be right back. And today's roundtable is brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers, the Teachers of America. I got to tell you one thing that we have learned through the coronavirus, and I hear over and over again, parents telling me, boy, do we really now appreciate more than ever the good work that our teachers do uh, in the public schools of America, K through 12, and higher education as well. All members of the AFT under President Randy Weingarten, we salute them, thank them for doing the Lord's work and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with uh, today's roundtable from Huffington Post, Igor Babish from Wall Street Journal, Sabrina Siddiqui from the National Journal Hotline, Leah Askarinam. So the Black Lives Matter movement we have seen uh, in the wake of the murder of uh, George Floyd, friends, uh, nationwide, bipartisan, multi-generational, multi-racial, peaceful, for the most part, protest about uh, systemic racism in um, police departments across the country. Uh, Donald Trump, not on board. He called it yesterday, uh, the Black Lives Movement, a symbol of hate. Sabrina, off key here, missing the moment. Any impact? Well, I think it's been quite clear where the president stands on uh, this issue. And amid this nationwide reckoning on racial justice and police brutality, the president has repeatedly sided with law enforcement, threatened protesters with violence, and as he did in 2016, is now directly attacking Black Lives Matter. He's also trying to politicize this issue of removing Confederate statues and monuments, once again, hoping to shore up support with his uh, majority white base. But I think the question is whether or not it's going to be effective. The race baiting, it, it, may, do, it may play with his base, but as we've been talking about throughout this show, there are a lot more voters, whether it's moderates or independents or suburban women who at this point I think are fed up and who, according to most polling, are increasingly moving to the other side of this issue and recognizing that America must confront its legacy of, with respect to racism. So I'm not surprised by the president's strategy. We saw him use his playbook in 2016, but it's just not clear that it's going to be as effective. And it's also clearly an effort to distract from the coronavirus and the other crises that he's facing in office. So law and order, it worked for Richard Nixon, uh, Igor. Times changed? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people make the comparison that this is 1968 all over again. I, I don't think that's a correct uh, a co comparison. Uh, you know, Nixon wasn't, wasn't the incumbent president in 1968. 
Um, some people would argue that the social unrest and violence you saw then it was far worse than what we saw today. Um, and, you know, Trump likes to think of himself as Nixon. I mean, one of his mentors was Roy Cohn, who was uh, an advisor for Nixon, and he believes this message is going to work for him. But, uh, you know, if you look at the polls, uh, that's not being borne out. And the, the, the Trump administration is doubling down on this message, and they're, they're targeting, you know, they're uh, calling it to attention, that what's going on in Seattle, the protests there. Um, but it's not working for them. And uh, clearly they're, they're, missing, they're missing what's going on right now. Um, and Leah, it, part of this message would be, of course, the ability, the success of that message would be uh, the ability to paint Joe Biden uh, as a radical leftist anti-law enforcement um, candidate. Uh, which is not an easy job, right? Right. That was the question kind of at the beginning of uh, the nationwide protests was, does the message of defunding the police, does that end up hurting Democrats? Um, What we've seen so far is that uh, Democrats like Joe Biden have kind of distanced themselves from that particular message, defunding the police, um, and that voters have generally um, bought into that. Uh, What I think will be interesting is to see who he picks as his vice presidential pick um, to see kind of if that does mm-hmm. open him up to mo- more vulnerability um, and having to answer more questions about where exactly he stands. Uh, but it is just hard for, I mean, it's hard for anybody to make a difference on Joe Biden's image in general, like we mentioned before, but especially this particular um, attack line. Uh, so you introduced that topic. What about it, Sabrina? Uh does the Black Lives Matter movement and these protests make it uh, more likely, almost certain, that Joe Biden will pick a woman of color? Uh, we saw two names added to the uh, to the speculation this week. Karen Bass, former congresswoman, former speaker of the California um, House or Assembly, I'm sorry, uh, and Congresswoman Barbara Lee, longtime uh, Democratic congresswoman from Oakland. Uh, so woman of color, Sabrina, and who do you, who do you hear are the front runners? Well, it is absolutely true that Biden and his campaign are hearing growing calls to choose not just a woman of color, but specifically a black woman, whether it's mm-hmm. at fundraisers and phone calls, there's an organized campaign by prominent leaders from ranging from entertainers to public figures from the African-American community. Um, but it's just not clear at the moment while he's considering many black women, if how exactly his thinking has changed in the last month. Um, I do think that people like Senator Kamala Harris um, it can, it continues to be top of the list for him. Um, she will have some questions over her own criminal justice background for sure if he chooses her. But to your point, there are also some new contenders who've emerged. Um, also Val Demings, Congresswoman from Florida, who is right. former police chief in Orlando, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, who's really had a moment in the spotlight uh, amid the protests and a police shooting there. Uh, Stacey Abrams st- still being vetted and considered. Uh, the, the biggest question is is just how Biden approaches this decision. Does he prioritize diversity and take the opportunity to make history? Or does he fall back on some other calculation? He's very big on personal connection. He's also 
obviously prized experience that's really been at the center of his campaign is that there needs to be someone experienced. And because of his age, in many ways, his pick is getting a lot more scrutiny because that very well could be um, the future leader of the Democratic Party. Uh, so I really think that they want someone, he wants someone, he often says, who's ready to be president on day one, not just vice president. But uh, polling shows that a growing number of Americans, or at least Democrats, I should say, think he should choose a black woman. But, you know, the thing about Veep Sakes is we, we speculate and we speculate. And <laughs> Joe Biden, we're going to get a decision in early August. And we'll really decide. Sometimes, you you know, it just turns out that we don't we don't know until an hour before. <laughs> So, Igor, you've got all kinds of contacts in the Biden inside the Biden campaign, hanging out at these debates with the Biden people. What do they tell you? Um, they're very tight-lipped about it. Obviously, I don't think they they know themselves. I think they're the the Biden, the senior Biden staff are keeping it close close to the vest. Obviously, I mean, I I think that given Biden's position right now. Um, what what he's going to place more of an emphasis on is his personal connection with with his with his likely v as sabrina said than than any kind of mm -hmm. uh, political considerations that are floating around the internet on twitter the biden campaign is very dismissive of um prognoses that are floating around on twitter by reporters and pundits um they they say that the pundits have been wrong consistently about his campaign so they're they're less likely to to pay attention to what people online say and Leah, I want to ask you, that, am I the only one who believes that if and when Joe Biden picks a woman of color, particularly probably an African-American, I agree, as his running mate, um, is Mike Pence solid or should Mike Pence be looking over his shoulder? Uh, is it impossible that Donald Trump would dump Mike Pence I and put a that, woman on the ticket? I think that would be totally speculative, but also just putting on my analysis hat for a second, um, the idea of creating more chaos and change in a campaign right now um, doesn't seem like the best idea. That said, uh, I am not a Trump advisor, so mm. you know I can't say that with certainty. But right now, if you're Donald Trump, you want to you know kind of keep the ship as steady as possible. Um, right now for Joe Biden, he has all of these options from, I mean, he's narrowed down his picks by narrowing it down to women, but he also has all of these former presidential candidates who have already yep. been vetted. Kamala Harris has already been vetted thoroughly um, because at one point in this cycle, she was seen as a front runner for the presidency. Um, she's already proven herself on a debate stage. Um, if you're looking to kind of take the safe path, um, I think the answer is to choose somebody who you know can do the job. All right, before we move on to your favorite stories of the week, um, we can't ignore uh, the overriding number one issue continues to be, uh, and that is the coronavirus pandemic. Um, yesterday, Wednesday, July 1, was the biggest day on record yet in the United States with over 50,000 new cases reported. Uh, as we speak today, 48 out of 50 states are either flat or have new cases reported, uh, only in two states and the District of Columbia, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and the District of Columbia have cases actually gone down. Um, so I'd like each of you, what is the political impact of this on 2020 with the White House even admitting that's going to be probably at this rate close to 200,000 Americans dead from the virus? Um, 
by October 1st. And Donald Trump yesterday, his response was, uh, we don't have to worry, the virus is soon going to disappear. The political impact. Igor, start us off. Well, I mean, it's clear that it, it's a negative for the Trump campaign. I, I mean, the more virus there is, the more deaths there are, it's going to make his administration look worse because, you know, the so-called first wave that hit, he could chalk up to, hey, we didn't see it coming. But this this uh, increase in numbers you're seeing across the country is directly tied to his response and uh, his lack of a response, lack of a national strategy. Uh, and Sabrina, David Frum writes in the, Atlant in the Atlantic this week on Igor's point that uh, the first wave, maybe you could make some mistakes, but now uh, at this point, it is Donald Trump's pandemic and he owns it and he has to be held responsible. Voters Absolutely. see it that way? Absolutely. You can make the case that in the beginning, there were a lot of countries that hadn't quite figured it out, but we are now almost four months into this pandemic in terms of when it really escalated here in the United States. And you already have more than a dozen states that have had to hit pause on their plans to reopen. I suspect that number will go up as there are more spikes across the country. And I would just reinforce the point that I was making earlier in the podcast, that this just touches people's lives in mm -hmm. such a profound way where people, like I said, cannot send their children to school. They cannot go to work. They cannot travel. They're losing their jobs. They're confined to their homes. And if, if you scale, if you have to scale back, be reopening again, and, and a lot of the businesses shut down, it will is absolutely going to be Donald Trump's crisis and his crisis alone. Leah, um, a referendum on Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. That's what 2020 is all about. I think we're headed that way. Um, it's opened up avenues for other Republicans to part ways with him in a way that's been really tough for them to do previously, except for possibly sometimes foreign policy. I mean, for some Republicans, just putting on a mask um, is, you know, showing that they differ from uh, President Trump. So that could open up some weaknesses in his coalition or possibly hurt down ballot candidates who are seen as not loyal enough to the president. Well, interesting to see Liz Cheney uh, in the Republican leadership in the House um, differ on with President Trump on the coronavirus pandemic and also on his response to the uh, uh, alleged bounty hunting on the part of Taliban people paid for by the Russians this week, uh, kind of giving other Republicans almost a an invitation to be a little more critical themselves. We'll see how that plays out. Um, great discussion, great panel. Um, uh, Sabrina Siddiqui, Igor Babish, and Leah Askaranam. But before you go, uh, there must have been one story, serious or not, that caught your attention this week. How about you, Sabrina? Well, we have a story at the Wall Street Journal that is called, No, Really, Your Boss Wants You to Take Vacation Now. <laughs> and it's about how employers across the country are really pushing their employees to take vacation days because everyone has just been hoarding them during the pandemic because you can't go anywhere. Yeah, and right. The, what the, the data is fascinating. According to this tracking company um, that focuses on human resources, uh, there were approximately 63,000 requests submitted in April and May by employers to workers at roughly 3,000 companies asking them to take vacation. 
And by comparison, <laughs> that's 63,000 in April and May alone. And by comparison, last year, in the entire year, there were 120,000 requests submitted to take vacation. So it's unheard of for your bosses to try and push you to take time off. <laughs> it's just it's funny that, of course, they're doing it when we can do when we can't yeah. do anything. And that's exactly why no one wants to take vacation. And so it's just, yeah. a, it's just a funny, a little funny, it's something that I thought was particularly funny. Yeah. I mean, why would you take a vacation, right? You can't get on a plane. You go to, I don't know, wherever you go, Ocean City, Virginia Beach, uh, uh, Florida, the bars are shut down. The restaurants are shut down. Do not to go quarantine. to Florida. <laughs> no, you have to quarantine wherever you go. I, I, I see that. that that's a, how about you, Igor? What caught your attention? Uh, my favorite story was um, came from uh, Jonathan Swan and Axios uh, yesterday. Oh, yes. He breaks a lot of White House news. He does. Who uh, apparently uh, White House advisors told them that the president now regrets um, passing and supporting criminal justice reform, one of his top, uh, you know, accomplishments, congressional accomplishments, and one of the key talking points of every Republican when they say what they're doing to get you know uh, minorities and African Americans on board with his campaign. Um, the quote in the story that was hilarious was uh, apparently uh, that the president wants to stop doing Jared Kushner's woke uh, S-I-S-H-I-T. <laughs> well, it was Jared Kushner who sort of pushed him into this. And now the president did say, yeah, according to Jonathan Swan. And I think we can trust him and his sources. The president regrets it. It's sort of uh, undercuts his law and order message, right? Yeah, definitely. He sees it as that. Hello, Leah, your favorite story. So I'm staying on brand, uh, but my <laughs> favorite story was about uh, Ronnie Jackson. Uh, it's the, the former White House physician. Oh, uh, yeah. An article in Texas Monthly about his uh, current run for Congress in Texas um, and his pitch before the GOP primary runoff later this month. Um, just going to read you my favorite quote, and I think that's all you really need to hear. Uh, he said, I will be one of the few, if not the only, freshman congressmen that can walk into the Oval Office unannounced and tell the President of the United States, sir, I've got something I've got to make you aware of, and he'll stop what he's doing and listen to me. That is his pitch <laughs> to be in Congress. <laughs> the guy that Donald Trump nominated for Surgeon General and was rejected, right? Yep. Sounds yep. like a good lobbyist pitch. <laughs> GOP primary runoff in Texas, July 14th. It'll be is that fun. When it is? Okay, yep. July 14th. All right. And I have to tell you, my favorite story of the week is it hasn't happened yet, but I just love the story uh, that Bill de Blasio uh, is threatening to paint Black Lives Matter down Fifth Avenue right in front of the Trump Hotel. It is driving Donald Trump absolutely freaking crazy, which is what I love about it, uh, because he said, how can they do that? This is the avenue of luxury, right? Right in front of my hotel tower. I can't think of any other way to get under Donald Trump, better way to get under Donald Trump's skin. And think about if that happens, uh, the Fifth Avenue in front of the Trump Tower, and we already have Black Lives Matter on, the, on 16th Street leading to the White House. So he will be able to look out of the window of both of his major residences and see Black Lives Matter. Um, could not happen to a better person. Uh, hey, 
That's it for today. Thank you so much, uh, Sabrina. Thank you, Igor. Thank you, Leah. Uh, so let's uh, be sure that people know where to follow you when you're not here on the Bill Press Podcast. Sabrina, where can people find you? Well, at the Wall Street Journal and on Twitter at Sabrina Siddiqui. <laughs> at Sabrina Siddiqui. Okay. How about you, Leah? Uh, at nationaljournal.com and subscribing to our newsletter at the hotline. All right. You got it. Igor. Uh, obviously, HuffPost.com and uh, my Twitter account, Igor Bach. Okay. Uh, and my Twitter account is at Bill Press Pod. Hope you follow me on Twitter as well. And hope you subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. Just go to wherever you're listening to this podcast, this roundtable. Pull up the Bill Press Pod and click on uh, <laughs> follow the click on subscribe and you are in your member of the Bill Press Pod. We appreciate that. Appreciate your listening today. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and come on back for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Bye, everybody. Bye.